This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Network original program. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Whether you like the Beatles version or Joe Cocker's, it was Luke's version in the first chapter of his gospel that had all of creation singing, Let It Be. Joining me along the way to discuss Mary, our Blessed Mother, and where she is in our daily life is Marian theologian, Father Edward Looney. Father, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is truly a pleasure to have you here, Father. Uh, you know, like I said in my introduction, Mother Mary speaks to me. She, she comes and she speaks words of wisdom, but I don't think she's saying let it be anymore. Father, where is Mary in our, in our lives today? Yeah, of course, you know, that idea of let it be is the words of Our Lady uh, as she gave them at the Annunciation to the angel, let it be done to me according to your will. So so in a sense, those words are to say, I want your will to be done. So where, where is Mary today? Well, perhaps she's at the wedding feast at Cana. She's saying to us, do whatever he tells you. And, uh, and so we hear those words of Our Lady then, do whatever he tells you. And that means we have to reflect and kind of look at all of the things that Jesus taught all throughout the scriptures throughout the Gospels, and to see what it is he's telling us and how he's telling us that we should be living our lives. Father, we have evidence that, that Mary is truly involved in salvation history. We have it at Fatima, we have it at Lourdes, we have it at Knock. But those are, are major apparitions. How is Mary involved in, in my life today? Yeah, what, what is she saying to you? I, I think she speaks to us through all those apparitions, uh, all those words she spoke. And again, a knock, she didn't speak to the people. She, she, it was a silent apparition. But what is she saying? She's telling us to pray. She's telling us to love God. She's telling us to turn back to the sacraments. She's telling us to see the needs of the world and to help them. She wants us to give thanks to God by the example that she gave her Magnificat, her My Soul Proclaims the Greatness of the Lord. Uh, so, so yeah, these are the things that I think Mary is saying to us today. I, we, we can look at the apparitions. We can say these are her messages, and they are many, and, and they're very good. Uh, but we always root everything in the, in the Bible, through the scriptures, through the words that Mary spoke. And, and she, she is speaking to us in our own spiritual lives as well. I think that we can enter into this dialogue with Our Lady that just as we talk with the Lord Jesus, that we can talk with Our Lady, that sometimes she will converse with us and share with us uh, different things as well. Um, you know, I'll never forget one time I was just really grappling with something in my life, and it was like a crossroads of, well, what do I do? And I was praying at this little chapel. It was a Schoenstatt chapel. Uh, Schoenstatt is a movement of spirituality. It was founded by Father Joseph Ketanek. There are all these chapels throughout the world. And in these little chapels uh, is an image of Our Lady. People go there. They pray there. And as I was praying there that day, I, I really sensed Our Lady spoke to me. She said, do not be afraid or do not worry. I have a plan for you. And those were the exact words that I needed in that precise moment. Do not worry, I have a plan for you. And that's true, that God has this plan for you and for me. And God had a plan for Our Lady, that from the very beginning of her immaculate conception, well, God knew how he was going to use her. 
and how she was going to respond. And so God knew these things. And and uh, so Our Lady is present. I think she's with the sorrowing. She's with those who sorrow. She's with those who are uh, poor. Uh, we see that, especially in the Magnificat, you know, he has lifted up the lowly and he has cast down the mighty from their thrones. Uh, it's just really this idea of God choosing the whim or the poor and having that preferential option then for those who are lowly. Can Mary pass out consolations? Yeah, so Mary has often been called the mediatrix of grace, and, and so she obtains from God grace for us. Uh, some of the saints say this quite beautifully, like Mary goes and she is there at the... Uh, uh, she's there at the throne of Christ. And and this is really a biblical thing, right? It, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, to the queen mother, to this notion that the queen mother was the advocate for the people, that kind of the, the peons would go to the queen mother, the queen mother would take their concern of the king, and then she would relate back to the to the commoners, basically what the king said. It's I, I always use the analogy of there's a pothole on the road I live on, so I go to my town supervisor, who then goes to the like the board president or whatever makes my request fix this hole and and then uh and then it will be repaired and then repair this hole and so so they go they make intercession and then eventually it gets fixed and, and that's the same thing with our lady that we can bring to her our sorrows we can bring to her everything and uh, and yeah, we can receive consolation that she can distribute that grace to us. That God chooses, God wishes to distribute grace uh, to us through Our Lady. The reason I ask that is because just the other day, as I was getting ready to kiss my scapular and put it put it back on, I just received this. I, I had this overwhelming feeling of of love for our Blessed Mother come over me, and. It was just an amazing feeling. And I'd been going through some personal struggles physically and spiritually. And, and I got that, that spiritual grace, I guess it was, from whether it be Mary or Jesus. But I just felt an overwhelming love for, for my Blessed Mother. So, Father, you, you just said uh, um, that Mary is a mediatrix. Explain that to me. It's just a common man. What, what does that mean? Yeah, so... Uh, it means that she's like a co-helper with Christ, I would say, that that God wishes to give these graces. And because God first gave us the grace of salvation and redemption through Our Lady, well, then other graces now come to us. Yeah, there's an image that I have in one of my uh, in one of my rooms, and it's Our Lady atop a fountain. And all of this water is like flowing down the fountain. And then you have people around the bottom, the base, with a little cup, and they're trying to catch the grace. And, and that's what I think is a good image of, of the mediatrix of grace. St. Bernard, Bernard of Clairvaux calls Mary an aqueduct. So this image of water is one that is commonly used with that idea. It, it's just that because of her role and how God has used her, that she obtains things for us from God. And because of her, we receive them. Now, I believe that 100%, but tell me about our, our Protestant brothers and sisters may not believe that Mary is a mediatrix. They, they believe you, you, that Jesus Christ is the only intercessor between, you know, between us and God the Father. Explain to me how Mary, how did Mary get that role? 
Uh, well, you know, it all comes in the divine plan that uh, because God foresaw the merits of the cross that he was going to apply to the world by Jesus's salvific death on the cross and then apply them to Mary at the very moment of her immaculate conception, that means that she lived her whole life without sin. She lived her whole life uh, living a virtuous life. And, and this is who we really see Mary as then, uh, that that she has the fullness of grace. And, and it's all a part of the divine plan. I, I just always go back to that language. Like, God uses Mary in the way that he uses her because he wants to use her. Uh, when it came to the Immaculate Conception, Blessed Duns Scotus, uh, who kind of provided the framework of the Immaculate Conception, uh, he, uh, he says it is fitting that God would do this for Our Lady. And so I would say it's fitting that God has used Our Lady in these ways. But we can use different anecdotes to really test this, to prove this, right? Like, think about the Battle of Lepanto. The whole world is praying the rosary for the advancement of Christendom and that the, the message of the gospel would not be defeated. And the world united in prayer obtains from God then uh, the, this miracle through Our Lady's intercession that they were able to overcome the Turkish fleet that day. Go to any Marian shrine and you'll see crutches there. You'll see... Uh, all the different testimonials of how Mary has advocated and interceded for people. And so it's fitting that God has used her in this way, and, and we see the testimonies of it. Lourdes is, is a prime example of what you're saying. But miracles, these Marian miracles don't need to be at Lourdes. They can be anywhere. Uh, that is correct. Yeah. So, of course, you can go to a big shrine and, and that's going to happen. You can experience a miracle. Of course, I've been to Lourdes. I, I took a family to Lourdes. They had a, a daughter who had a cancerous tumor. And so they went there and, uh, uh, you know, they prayed that the tumor would go away, that she would be cured of her cancer, all of these things. But the young girl dies but so some miracles don't come to us in the way that we want them. Of course, we wanted that young woman to be cured of her cancer. We wanted her to have a long life. But according to the plan of God, that wasn't it. And so we can see, you know, even in some of these other saints like Blessed Carlo Acutis or, uh, or, or Blessed Chiara Luce Badano, that God uses them in the way in which they died as young people and how they're transforming the world today. So these are uh, transformative stories, really, uh, um, that God is using something for his own purpose uh, and to accomplish his, his plan. Uh, but yeah, like you said, they can happen anywhere. You could be praying. Uh, you, I just wrote this book called How They Love Mary, and I reflect about 28 holy men and women and there are different aspects of marrying devotion. So you have the story of St. Therese of Lisieux, who's in her family home, she's dying. There's the statue of Our Lady. The statue of Our Lady comes to life and looks at her, smiles at her, and Therese is instantaneously healed. You have the story of St. Francis de Sales. St. Francis de Sales uh, was, uh, as a young boy, as a young man, had crippling depression every day went to the altar of Our Lady in his parish church, asked Our Lady 
to uh, obtain for him a cure or the relievement of his depression. And it happened. He experienced that grace by the prayers of Our Lady. So miracles can happen in our ordinary parish church. They happen when we pray our rosary. Uh, they happen in many uh, different ways, that's for sure. Father, you, you talk about praying the rosary, and the rosary is truly powerful. As my friend uh, Trace Big Guns Chamberlain says, it is a mighty warrior's weapon, and it is like pushing a, your finger in the, in the devil's chest every time we, we, we say one of those beads. What are your thoughts on just speaking to Mary as your mother, to just yeah. open, opening your heart up to her? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I've always been touched by uh, uh, an author that I know. She's also from Wisconsin. She's a Catholic author. Her name's Marge Fenlon. She wrote this amazing book that I, you know, she she has great books all around. Uh, but I especially loved her book, Forgiving Mother. And uh, and I tried to understand it, you know, just when I ordered it. Well, what's her premise going to be here? It was a nine-day novena for healing. Like it was asking, was it going to be Our Lady asking us to heal us or whatever? Or, you know, to, to forgive us? Like Mary is a forgiving mother for we've gone astray. You know, but it was really, it was... Uh, Marge's story about how she forgave her mother by the help of the prayers of Our Lady. And, and that's an aside to say that Marge Fendlin uh, often on social media will tweet something in the evening like, have you talked to Our Lady like your mother today? Like, you can share with Our Lady your different sorrows, your different joys. Just as you share them with God, you can share them with the Blessed Virgin. And uh, again, to, to go to somebody in the book, How They Love Mary, uh, Teresita Cavedo is this Carmelite Spanish nun lived in uh, uh, lived in Carabanchal right outside of Madrid. And uh, for, for Teresita, she had this very tender, very loving devotion. It was almost like she always had this continual conversation with Our Lady throughout her life. It, it, it's very, it was very moving for me, very touching for me. Uh, to, to read about her life and her biography, Mary Was Her Life, and uh, to see how it was that she really dialogued. She, she would go to a statue of Our Lady and talk with the Blessed Mother. And when we go to a statue, it's not like we're worshiping the statue. We're not offering something to it. Maybe we offer flowers, but that's a sign of our devotion. But mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, it, we go to the statue, and it, the statue is just a reminder of who Mary is. And that Mary is a real person in heaven, and that who we're talking with in heaven is represented by this image. Father, you just brought up something really, really important that I think that our, I don't think our Protestant brothers and sisters know. What happened to Mary? In, in, yeah, in the so, end? yeah, we celebrate as Catholics Mary's bodily assumption into heaven. So she was taken body and soul. Uh, we don't know what that means. The church, you know, kind of has this. The church loves to define things without really giving a true definition. So it doesn't say if she died. It doesn't say if she was zapped up in the heaven. It doesn't say if she was placed in a tomb. All of these are traditions, and uh, you can rightly believe any one of them, actually. That's called the immortalist, the assumptionist, and the dormitionist position. But at the end of the day, what we know is that Mary was taken body and soul into heaven, and that now she's there with God, and she intercedes for us. So that's the end of her life. Some of the mystics tell stories about, you know, processing through uh, processing through uh, Jerusalem with her body uh, and, and miracles that took place as that was happening. 
Others recount that they opened the tomb on the fourth day because Thomas the apostle arrived late, wanted to pay his respects, and the tomb was empty, much like her son. So there are all these pious little stories about Mary's assumption uh, that, that really we can see uh, from, from the tradition. But they, they help us. They help us to think about these realities that Mary was taken up into heaven by her son. And Fulton Sheen has a very beautiful line. He says that it's almost like that the love of the mother on earth and the love of the son in heaven that they attracted so much that 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 the love between the two drew Mary into heaven. So it, that's just an interesting, I, I think, uh, tidbit to think about the love of mother and son. But to think, yeah, Mary lives after the resurrection and ascension. She lives her life waiting to be united with her son. How was she united with her son while on earth? Through Holy Communion. But then she waited for that moment where she would see him again in all his heavenly glory in the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Such a beautiful story. I can only imagine how, how beautiful that must be. And then it kind of reminds me when you were talking about the love attraction between Jesus and his mother, uh, how Jesus and the Father together in the Holy Spirit is is that. Uh, is there a connection there? Well, you know, Mary has a profound relationship with the Trinity. She's the daughter of the Father. She's the mother of the Son. She's the spouse of the Holy Spirit. So she is intimately connected to the three persons of the Blessed Trinity, and that, you know, an interesting thing when we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in one of the Marian antiphons, it says, you bore your creator, yet remained a virgin after as before. And that's a, a, a notion that we truly do believe, actually, that, that Jesus was a part of the creative action of the world, that God, the Father, Son, and Spirit were there from the very beginning, so that Christ existed in heaven, but then he becomes incarnate, being born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And that's her relationship with, with the Trinity. And so you can see how much, you know, God so loved the world that he sent his only son for us to be born of Mary. And that God then spares her out of love for who Jesus is, because Mary cannot, uh, Mary cannot su suffer the taint of original sin if she's going to bear the son of God. So then, uh, so as a result, God, God the Father chose her and loves her from the very beginning of her conception. The Holy Spirit loves her in that sense, uh, because by the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus is conceived. Now, St. Louis de Montfort, one of my favorite quotes of his is he says that the Holy Spirit flies to the soul who has devotion to Our Lady, because in that soul he finds his most beloved spouse and uh and so when we love mary the holy spirit is attracted because because mary love because of that love uh, uh of the spirit and and mary herself st louis de montfort is one of uh one amazing saint he's written a lot of tremendous books about mary uh and so have you Father, tell me a little bit about your your studies of, of Mariology and how you've come to know so much about Mary. Yeah, you know, it was something that started when I was very little. I was very enamored by Marian apparitions. A lady from my parish planned pilgrimages to Marian apparition sites. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so that's the first thing I'd say. 
Um, the, the second uh, is I always had an, a great love for her and I wonder why. And I, I think it's part to do with my upbringing. My mother was a very absent mother. My mother and father separated before I was born. And consequently, then uh, I grew up in a home with my mother and my grandmother. My mother worked two jobs. So I think that maybe at times I turned to the Blessed Virgin Mary to fill up what was lacking in my own life from from lacking in the maternal love of my mother. Well, then Mary completed that for me. So so I think that's why I was always drawn to Marian devotion. Uh, I, I formally studied the Blessed Mother as I studied theology. Uh, I, I geared a lot of my research. So uh, some people would want to call me a Mariologist. I don't really like that because I don't have a degree in Mariology. I, I really call myself a Marian theologian just because I've studied theology with uh, an emphasis on Mary uh, in my writing and my research. So, uh, But it, it's really just been something that's been there for, for years now. And I just continually read books about Our Lady and uh, want to share as much as I can about her. When you were discerning your priesthood, did you? Um, how much did Mary have a, an effect on that? Uh, yeah, so Mary had a very important role in my vocation. I, uh, I went to a Marian apparition site back in 2005 and prayed there at the, uh, at the kind of prompting of a priest that was on the trip. And uh, I prayed and he said, ask Our Lady what, he wants, what she wants you to do with your life. And uh, I had the idea that maybe I wanted to be a priest. I also loved politics. I thought maybe I would be a politician. Uh, so, uh, I asked our lady and I said, you know, I'm very touched by the expression of faith that, that you see here. And I said, I want to see that in my own diocese. So I'm a priest of the diocese of Green Bay in Wisconsin. And there's a Marian apparition site called champion. Our lady appeared there back in 1859 to a Belgian immigrant named Adele Bryce. And this apparition of our lady, uh, you know, people have gone there, uh, ever since. And, Every year on August 15th, they had a special celebration in which they uh, uh, processed. Uh, they had a, um, a special mass for the Feast of the Assumption. And then they processed with uh, a statue of Our Lady and walked around the grounds and and, and all of those things. And uh, I went there after going to that shrine in Europe. And uh, when I arrived there, uh, I saw that same expression of faith and I said, okay, well, maybe God wants me to be a priest. This is what I prayed for. I feel like this is the answer. It's no coincidence. It's happening at a Marian apparition site as well. Uh, I go to a seminary, have a terrible experience, never thought I would be a priest, left the seminary, went to study politics, but there was something still wanting in my life. And I worked for a campaign and the guy I worked for lost and it was very devastating. And I always call that like, uh, I call it my Teresa Benedicta moment, that I realized that there had to be something greater to this life than just that. And, and she identified that as God, and I identified that as, well, what could I do in my life? And it's like, oh, I could be a priest. So I begin praying about it again. I go back to that shrine and champion, the shrine of Our Lady of Good Help. And uh, I was serving Mass there one day, and I was at a point where I was going to join a religious order, but then I also thought, well, maybe I should stay close to home, join a, join the diocese. And uh, that day, the psalm was, and I had to make a decision like that week. And that day, the psalm response was, Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. 
And so I realized uh, in that moment, I said, well, this is the people that longs to see the face of God. And I said, this is where I am called to serve. So I will remain here and I'll go to seminary to be a priest. Went to a different seminary, had a very positive experience, continued on and uh, was ordained back in 2015 and uh, continue to serve uh, to this day. It's amazing how many times that happens, Father, because I, I know that our own Father, Larry Burrell, who was our chaplain here at, along the way, he had the same sort of experience where his first initial contact with the seminary was not, wasn't as good. He didn't think he was going to be comfortable there, went back the second time and felt it was the right decision to make. When did you know you wanted to be a priest? There was an inkling early on. I started serving daily mass probably in fourth grade during the summer. So I would say that was kind of the idea of priesthood started back then. Mm -hmm. I think there comes a point when you go to high school that you kind of want to run away from that, that, that you want to just be normal maybe, or not that priesthood isn't normal, but that you, yeah, that, that you kind of want to explore other aspects, which I think is a healthy thing. It confirms you then in the calling that you've received. Mm -hmm. uh, other people don't need that, which is is fine and good, and, and God can use that too. So uh, God's call is ever-present, and we are responding to that call. Is there one person in your life that you'd like to say thank you to for, for pointing you in that direction or who really inspired you? Oh, yeah. Well, I would say, of course, my grandmother, who was a very instrumental witness of faith, uh, there are a lot of priests along the way that were inspiring. There are priests to this day that have really inspired me. So, so yeah, there, there, uh, there's so many people that, that I could thank. Uh, it, it's really uh, everybody in a sense who has been a part of my life has had some impact on my priesthood. That's for sure. You mentioned your grandmother. Is Mary a model of what a woman should be? Yeah, Mary is a, a good ideal of the perfect woman because she was the perfect woman. And so we see in her all of these different virtues. And, and because we see the virtue, it could be intimidating. Some people could say, I can never be who the Blessed Mother was, so I'm not even going to try. But I would encourage people to, to not think that way, but instead to say, well, I'm going to strive for virtue. I'm going to ask Our Lady to help me to be the, the best mother, the best wife. She's very relatable. She was a spouse. She was a daughter of Anne and Jochum. She was the mother of Jesus. She had friends in her life. They stood with her below the cross of Jesus. So, so just as we have these people in our life or the women that we know in our lives have, have their network, well, Mary had her network. And so, um, yeah, there's a, a woman foundress, uh, Kiara Lubeck. She uh, she founded the movement called Focolari, which is called the work of Mary. And Kiara Lubick, uh, she, she says that we are to be another Mary in the world, to be a repetition of Mary. She had this very profound experience. She was praying before the Blessed Sacrament one day, and she said, Jesus, why is it that you haven't left your mother here on earth? In every tabernacle, you are here. But why didn't you leave us your mother? And she heard interiorly God speak to her, and that's what he said. He said, I want to see her in you. And that's really, I think, the invitation for, for yes, all women. It's the invitation for us that we can become Mary-like in our own life and how we live our life as well. What traits of Mary should men adopt? 
Yeah, of course. I think uh, a hallmark of the Blessed Virgin is is chastity, uh, purity. And St. Joseph helps to complement. St. Joseph was the protector of the Virgin, the guardian of Our Lady. Mm -hmm. So uh, he's a strong aid and support to that. Um, Yeah, I'd say that one. Uh, Mary was also very generous in her outreach to the poor and generous as she went and served Elizabeth. So I think that her generosity is something we can imitate. I'm always struck by the fact that at the wedding feast of Cana, she was attentive to the couple there, so to their needs. And, and so we can have a greater awareness of the needs of the people around us, whether that's our, our family, our friends, our coworkers, that, that we should be able to notice when someone we love is suffering. Father, as I was getting ready for this interview, I, I wanted to ask you the question, what is Mary's job in, in this modern day world? But I don't think saying that Mary has a job would be would do her justice. I think what Mary does is, is certainly a labor of love. She said yes to the, our Lord when or God when God the Father when when he asked if, if she would be the mother of his son. What is Mary's role in this modern day world? Where does where yeah. does where does she? How does she balance tradition and uh, you know, this modern modern world? Yeah, how does Mary come? What's her role in our world today? Well, I think her her role is just as she noticed the needs of the couple at Cana and said, "Jesus, they have no wine." Her role today is really to look at us in our world and to say, "Jesus, they have no wine." It, we we are you know in the aftermath of some of these tragedies that that have happened in our country with, with shootings and such and and so Mary goes to her son and look at what is happening they have no wine and, and it's it's her plea for the world so I think what you know what is her job her job is pleading for us before the throne of God we saw that in some of the apparitions of Our Lady uh, she. She appeared um, in La Salette and she kind of said, like, my hand is heavy from holding back the arm of my son. And and so she's pleading with her son, saying, give them a little more time to convert. There's an apparition of Our Lady that I've come to believe is real. The church hasn't said that it is authentic. They say it's non-supernatural, that it's non-constat supernaturale, but uh, it's the apparition of Our Lady of Garamandal in Spain. And and I believe that apparition is true, and we will see if it is true, uh, that that if there is this illumination of conscience, that there is this warning, and then um, and so forth. So, uh, because what Our Lady spoke there, well, if that comes to be, the whole world is going to turn back to God. Once we know the horror of our sin, well, then we will try to do everything to repair that, and we're going to try to live worthy lives of our heaven uh, of our heavenly Father. How is that going to come to be, where we see our sins for what they truly are? Yeah, so they call it the illumination of conscience. I can't really explain it. I guess we don't really know what it is, right? It's kind of like predicting the end of the world that we just don't know when it is what it what it looks like etc but um just like you know we don't know we 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 think we we know what purgatory is like or heaven is like from some of these visions but but the, these are some of the great mysteries that that we don't actually have true knowledge of so 
uh, I would assume that at some point there will be this universal call that happens. You know, maybe it happens in the sky that that there's kind of this, I don't know, something out of a sci-fi movie, I imagine, in which all of us are able to look within and see the death of our sin. And maybe others will be able to see it, I forget, but but we will have a great horror for our sins and seek to turn back to God then. Father, is it possible, and I'm going to put this in layman's terms, when I was uh, coming back to the Catholic Church, the wedding feast at Cana in the, Ros- the Mysteries of the Rosary was something that really, really, I say that I had gotten a grace of understanding. There were no visitations, no you know visions or anything like that, but it was just a grace of understanding. When I had my heart attack, I was in the hospital, and I was looking out the, um, the window, and I was overlooking St. Joseph's Cathedral. And I knew that Jesus was in that. I was in a Catholic hospital, and I knew that Jesus was literally in the Eucharist, was in that cathedral. And I had a grace of understanding that I was going to be okay, no matter if I lived or died. I was going to be okay because I, I had faith and trusted in Jesus. Do you think what you're saying is that God will give the world a grace of understanding? Yes, that's precisely what I think the illumination of conscience is, that there will be this understanding and knowledge, and that's going to move us to complete conversion of life. True repentance. Perfect, yes. perfect repentance. I would think so. It'll be like a new heaven and a new earth, maybe. That would be so much better than what we have now with all these these shootings and everything like that. Um, these, these just horrible things that we're doing to people. Just horrible things that we're doing to people. Uh, Father, I just want to say you are you a master of m- multimedia. You're an author of how many books now? I think seven. So, there were some early books, but they're not in print, so I don't count them. <laughs> That's, uh, so you're doing that. Your your daily masses on Facebook Live. You do that. You uh, have a couple podcasts. I do. I have uh, How They Love Mary, which is the title of my new book. Mm-hmm. But it's been a podcast since 2019. So uh, yeah, interview uh, guests. Right now, I'm doing about two shows a week. Uh, I'm going through the book, so I'm doing an interview every Monday, kind of talking about one of the 28 people I, I talk about in the book. Uh-huh. And then I do a general Catholic uh, interest uh, episode on Thursdays. But I also am reading from the Mystical City of God by Venerable Maria Vagrida, uh, which is a, a life tra- transforming thing. It's a four volume, 2600 page work. Uh, it's a biography of Jesus and Mary. She received these in mystical revelations, but I'm doing that as a podcast as well. So every day I record about uh, seven pages, and then I give a commentary. And uh, so that's out there uh, as well, the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. About a thousand people, which I think is fairly decent for something that's such a niche work mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that they're following along. So how, how far yeah, along I, I are you? I think a lot that? of, uh, well, uh, we're, we're day like 150 or whatever. Uh, we, so I started January 1, so it's going to end December 31st. So I'm just going through the whole year. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, so next month will be the end of quarter two. So then half a year uh, will be completed. So uh, yeah, I, I'm just uh, about page 400 right now in, in the second volume. When do you have time to do your <laughs> your your priestly I, duties? I, I, I stay up late, get up early, and uh, 
minister during the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do appreciate you taking some time out to spend with us because this is such an important subject, Father. Any Anytime we can talk about Mary. Back in episode 12 of this, and we're I think you're episode 53 now, back in episode 12, we consecrated this podcast to Mary. So um, we thank her for, for every episode that we've done. And, you know, every morning I, I thank her for uh, helping me to find good guests. Father, now is the time I ask, where would you like to go with this? Is there something that I'm missing? Is there something that you'd like to talk about? Boy, uh, no, I think we covered a whole lot of material in, in a short amount of time. And uh, yeah, I just uh, encourage, you know, uh, the whole idea, I wrote this book, How They Love Mary, the outgrowth for my podcast. And mm-hmm. Uh, the whole premise is to show how Marian devotion can be unique, how there are different Marian devotions, that it's not cookie cutter. I do argue that the rosary should be the preferential Marian devotion, but that we supplement it with these other little devotions uh, that, that we have. So my story of reading the mystical city of God, that's spiritual reading about our lady. That's principally my secondary Marian devotion this year, but next year, my Marian devotion supplementing would be different, you know? So uh, that, that's just what I want to show. I want to help people realize that, uh, that that marrying devotion is different. So we talked a little bit about the sorrow, you know, the sorrow around the shootings and such. And I, I think a perfect Marian devotion for that is Our Lady of Sorrows, that Our Lady sorrowed over the fact that Jesus, uh, that, that Jesus died and that she held the lifeless body of her son, that she buried him. And so we can turn to Our Lady of Sorrows, especially in the midst of tragedy, for she understands loss. And through her loss, she can bring comfort to those right now. Unfortunately, Father, the secular world doesn't want to hear our prayers, but I think as we as Catholics and Christians, uh, we have to continue to pray those prayers of prayer to Our Lady of Sorrows. We need a loving mother in this society more than anything. Father, let me ask you a question. There are so many different apparitions and, and uh, pilgrimages that people can go to that are devoted to our Blessed Mother. Does it make sense to go to a certain pilgrimage for certain things? Or is there, is there a, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. And there are particular graces that are associated with certain shrines. Of course, the grace of healing is associated with Lourdes. If you're struggling with infertility, you want to go to the shrine of Our Lady of La Leche that down in St. Augustine, Florida. That is a shrine where, where infertile couples have prayed, asking Our Lady's help and intercession. And couples who are told they would never have a child have been granted the grace of fertility and now have a child. And many of them return there to give thanks to Our Lady for that gift. So a lot of the saints, they have certain patronages. So, uh, you know, if... Uh, I, I did this documentary uh, where I live. There's these roadside chapels and the roadside chapels are dedicated to different saints. And, you know, if you there, there's two two chapels to St. Odelia. So if you are struggling with eyesight, well, you're going to want to pray at the St. Odelia chapel. If you know someone with cancer, then you might want to visit the St. Peregrine chapel. So there are like shrines to different saints that are significant you know, uh, because of their particular grace. In general, you can pray at any Marian shrine for a, for a singular grace or whatever you're asking for. So, uh, but but yeah, you, 
you don't have to go somewhere special. You could pray right at home. Going somewhere special perhaps adds a little more to your prayer because you're going out of your way. It's an act of inconvenience uh, as you're doing that. But but yeah, of course, God hears your prayer no matter where you are. And St. Faustina had this little practice. She would send her guardian angel uh, to, to certain places with her intentions. I, I did that when I was in Paris. I wanted to go to Rudabach. I wanted to pray for somebody there uh, for the, the Shrine of Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal. And uh, so so when, you know, was in the airport, I just didn't have enough time between airport transfers and stuff. So I said, dear guardian angel, take my petition and lay it there at the at the place of devotion at Our Lady uh, of the Miraculous Medal. So, so that's something you could do as well, I think. Father, what would you say to somebody if they were born prematurely on October 13th? Well, that Our Lady of Fatima had a special grace for you. You know, there's, uh, you know, a great reminder of, uh, of praying the rosary and the miracle that happened. And so I think there's something grace filled there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's the way I've, I've always felt. You know what? I want to bring my buddy uh, Dave Imhoff in. Dave, do you have any questions or anything? Because I know that you have a tremendous devotion to our Blessed Mother. Yeah, sure. Um, a number of questions. Let me let me go to this one. Uh, you, you mentioned a, a bunch of Marian appar uh, apparitions and et cetera. You, you didn't mention Ajigori. And I was wondering, uh, you know, of course we know it has been uh, approved by the Vatican yet, but uh, it's an active one, and it's been a very active one, and continues to be active, and it's a, a, a pilgrimage that I have on my to-do list. And I, it, what's your comments, thoughts on uh, Our Lady Medjugorje? Yeah, I've been to Medjugorje two different times, so I do. I, I haven't been there since like 2009, so I was there, or maybe 2008, so I was there 05, 08. Uh, you know, very powerful place. It's a place where definitely uh, you see the power of prayer. People go there. They begin living the messages of Our Lady. Like the message of Our Lady, they call it the five stones. It's scripture, mass, uh, the rosary, fasting, and and something else. And so, like, none of none of those things are bad, right? They're They're very good things for us to do. They're great reminders. Oh, confession is the fifth one. So, so they're great reminders to us. Uh, yeah, so I think the messages of Medjugorje can definitely help people. They have brought about conversion in people's lives. The, the Vatican approved the first seven apparitions of Medjugorje, but they left, you know, thousands upon thousands left untouched. So, um, you know, there's a lot to be discerned with it. Uh, but I think that there's something holy that's happening there. That's for sure. Uh, as you were talking about this um illumination of conscience it reminded me of a book i read a very simple book it was it's a novel but it's it's about that pierced by a sword uh, you're familiar sure. with that one but yeah Bud yeah McFar by Bud mcfarlane yeah mcfarlane yeah okay yeah and it, it had that uh you know towards the end of the story i think there was everybody realized and they saw their sin and you know it, it, uh, i can't I, I read it quite a while ago but it was it was interesting i, yeah. I thought it was I'm in the same boat as you. I read that book when I was in high school. So that would have been like two that like right around 2005, right? So so yeah, I would love to go back and revisit. I remember the miraculous metal playing a huge part of that story. 
So uh, that, that like he found a miraculous medal or something and then carrying that medal brought about graces in his life. So, yeah, he went on. Bud McFarlane wrote Conceived in Gold or something like that. Or uh, he had two other books that I, I never read. But uh, yeah, Pierced by a Sword was a very powerful book. I'd have to find it. I'd love to revisit it. Father, if you had one, if you could recommend one Marian shrine for people to visit in their lifetime, what would it be? Oh, boy. One Marian shrine. Uh, you know, I go to the shrine of Our Lady of La Leche every year just because I know so many couples who uh, are struggling to conceive. And so I pray for them. And I've had I've had graces, grace reports received. Uh, you know, people write me all the time, you prayed, and now they have a child. So I think it's the oldest Marian shrine. So in the United, let me re-say that. Uh, it's the oldest Marian shrine in the United States dating back to the 1600s. So there's that. Uh, uh, if I had to say, I think Lourdes kind of is the quintessential Marian shrine. Like, it's such a powerful experience to see the malads at the front of the procession for you to have your candle and raise it up during the Ave Maria uh, to, to, it's a very experiential shrine. Like you go in the bath waters. Uh, I have so much peace when I pray before the grotto of Masabiel, that little place where our lady appeared. I will say though, that I experienced that same peace at the Cova de Ira or at the pines in Garamandel or at the apparition oratory and champions. So, you know, that's another, another reality too. So uh, I would say Lourdes, if I had to pick just one, mm -hmm. but you should go to champion sometime in your life and uh, go to the oldest Marian shrine. So I'll give you three. <laughs> the, the Trinity of uh, Marian shrines. We appreciate that father. Father, how can people get a hold of you? If they, how can they follow you? Yeah, so the best way I'm I'm active as you said on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the handle at fr Edward Looney. I have a YouTube channel. Do me a solid and give me a subscription there. <laughs> like like that'll help uh, uh, in, in the future. I think for for a project I'm working on. But uh, I have a website edwardlooney.com. It's not really updated often. I think the books are all there. Like you can find links to buy them, but. But other than that, uh, social media is probably the best place. Uh, that That's where I update the most. If somebody wants to buy your books, is uh, your website the best place to go? Or, uh, Well, I just direct people to the sellers. So, so like How They Love Mary, which is the book I've always wanted to write, but it took me the longest to do so to find a publisher to take it. Uh, that's available from Sophia Institute Press. If you were interested in the Marian apparitions I talked about, uh, the church-approved ones I feature in A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary. Uh, that's also with Sophia Institute Press. Uh, I, my first Marian book that was kind of a big seller was A Heart Like Mary's, uh, which is available from Ave Maria Press. You know, Father, recently you were uh, on Facebook with a former guest uh, here. It was Father Joe Laramie. Oh, yeah, Father Joe Laramie. Yeah, he's a... Uh, a priest friend of mine. So he's a part of the world. Uh, he, uh, he's a part of the apostleship of prayer, uh, which is the Pope's worldwide prayer network. 
I, I knew Father Kubicki quite well. And uh, and so when Father Joe took over, uh, kind of our the, the working relationship I had with them also then uh, uh, carried over uh, with Father Laramie. He actually preached our parish mission this year. Yeah, he was a, he was a great guest, learned a lot from him, and we appreciated uh, the time that he got to spend. Father, our time is starting to wind down. I want to thank you so much for joining me along the way. Yeah, very happy to do so. And uh, seriously, your your the information you've shared with us is very very important, and I I thank you so much for for being here. So for my guest, Father Edward Looney. Uh, priest of uh, Green Bay, the, the Diocese of Green Bay. And for my producer, David Imhoff, I'm down the hall, Dave, praying always that your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. We'll see you next time.